Hello, this is James Ippolitti, host of Out of Silence. I wanted to jump in just to let you know that you may hear that it is the Songsmith Podcast or Creativity Gurus Podcast. Season one of both of those have been combined to the name Out of Silence, and that will be the name moving forward for any interviews that I have about creativity. So don't be confused. Songsmith Podcast and the Creativity Gurus is now under one brand, Out of Silence. Peace. Hello, creatives. Welcome to the latest edition of the Creativity Guru. I am your host, James Ippolitti. In this episode, I open the vault once again, sharing with you my 2009 interview with stuntwoman and actress Zoe Bell. Her stunt work includes doubling for Lucy Lawless in Xena and Uma Thurman in Kill Bill. She has acted in several Quentin Tarantino films. However, in this interview, she is just starting her acting career, and I discuss with her that change. I think this is something all creatives can learn from. Sometimes we get labeled as an artist who is a painter, but maybe you want to write music. You can always change that label. Each week, I speak with artists of all mediums, asking them about their creative journey with the hope that you may glean something from our conversations to help you on your own creative journey so that you may live your creative dreams. So if you would like to support this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you subscribe so you are notified when new episodes are posted. And being a newer podcast, it would mean the world to me if you give the podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. So let's get right to my 2009 interview with Zoe Bell on this edition of The Creativity Guru. Hello, Zoe. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Thank you very glad much. Glad for, you can take the time out of your busy schedule to speak with me today. No problem. First, let me say that Grindhouse was not only my favorite movie of 2007, but the theater-going experience was by far the best I've had in a movie theater in years. I went back and saw it again and again. It's just a great film. <laughs> it, is, it is a good experience, isn't it? It's a, I mean, we definitely pulled that part off, I'm sure. Yeah, it was just a blast. You know, you knew that Tarantino and Rodriguez knew what it was like to go see movies back in the 70s, and they brought that, you know, back, made it alive again in 2007. Yeah, that was there. That was the whole purpose. So you worked with Tarantino on Kill Bill as Uma Thurman's stunt double, but as an actress, what did you learn from your experience working on Grindhouse with Tarantino? Working on Grindhouse? Yes. Um, um, just about everything. <laughs> I, uh, you know, Grindhouse was my first, uh, Death Proof was my first real acting experience ever, pretty much. I think I did like two lines of dialogue on a TV show called um, Cleopatra twenty five twenty five about right five or seven years ago. But now sorry. was that Cleopatra? Was that also like a Rob Taper production, like Xena and Hercules? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was, um, it was um, Pacific Renaissance based. It was sort of when Hercules stopped airing. They did 20, Cleopatra twenty five twenty five and another show called Jack of All Trades. They were half an hour each back to back. Right, that was Bruce Campbell's Jack of All Trades. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, now you're back in a starring role in Ed Brubaker's web series, Angel of Death, which people can watch on Crackle.com. And yeah. I, was, I was hooked after that very first episode with the knife. Good. Uh, and, but can you tell us about the series and your kick-ass, drop-dead, sexy character, Eve? Nice. I'm loving the description. I'll just stick with that one. <laughs> um, 
basically, um, you know, it's an online... It's, we shot it as a feature film, and as far as I'm concerned, I haven't actually asked anybody, but as far as I remember, everyone just felt like it was... You know, just approached it like it was a film. I wrote in 2019 because by then I was positioned to quit my job that year at the age of 27 and retire. And I was making 15 grand a month in passive income. So once I started saying that to people, they were like, what are you talking about? You're 27. How on earth are you going to retire? And I realized there was a big need for this information and for exploring what passive income truly is, what it isn't, how it works. And basically the book is a, a a very long, in-depth list of 28 ways to create passive income. So trust me when I say there is something out there for everybody. Well, that's amazing. You know, your story is just incredible, period. I mean, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, but I want to give you, since uh, this is basically, I, I usually interview like artists, musicians, writers, and your book is nonfiction, but it is, I actually laughed out loud reading your stuff. It's so well-written. And um, really, your personality comes out. It's really, really difficult to do because it is true. We are not taught this stuff and it drives me. Why are we not taught this? I don't know, but like you, it drives me insane. I mean, we are truly in a financial education crisis and at no point in our lives are we taught how to manage our money. Then we're left as young adults to figure it out all on our own. And what makes me mad is that so many of my friends and the people I work with They all have these feelings of shame and guilt and embarrassment when it comes to their money, but it's not their fault that they weren't given the resources they need to to succeed. So that's essentially why I help. So if you're learning an instrument, um, whatever you're doing, you can visualize the practice if the ability of having the thing is not with you. Um, But I got better by being consistent. I wasn't naturally to be good at finance and business. Um, unless you like specifically, like in your case, you had a passion for it and, and, um, from a young age. And and I heard on a different podcast that you said it was out of fear of, um, being in debt and not having that freedom. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. I grew up in a, a wealthy County, very unrealistic bubble to grow up in. So my idea of what it was to be poor versus rich was very skewed. A lot of the students in my high school got brand new BMWs when they turned 16 and right. my family was not operating that way. We were not even going out to eat at restaurants, let alone driving new cars or going on trips as a family. So from a young age, I felt like I didn't fit in. And that's not the way you want to feel in middle school and in high school. Absolutely. They say that fear can be either motivating or paralyzing. And luckily for me, it was the former. It it was motivating for me. It kind of lit a fire under me of looking around and realizing I didn't want to end up like everyone else struggling with money. I didn't want to have to operate on a strict budget for the rest of my life or borrow money from family and friends to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. And I realized that what I did then could either set me up for wealth or for poverty. So all the things I've done and my ambition is is from that fear of being financially dependent or struggling with money or being in debt. And that's why I've achieved what I've achieved. Yeah, and what's crazy is if you ask, if you walk up to anybody, they would say, "Yeah, I don't want to be poor. I don't want to be struggling." And like you give, here's a, here's a book that says, "Here's what you can do." Why do you think it's so difficult for us to just make it work? 
I think it's difficult because it's uncomfortable. There's a, a lot of people see this end result that I have of I'm financially independent and I'm traveling and I have 15 right. grand a month. And it's like, wow, that's so sexy and glamorous. But the journey to get there is boring and mundane and the hardest that I've ever worked in my life. So if you looked at my life two or three years ago, you'd be like, I would not trade her life for the world. I've never been so exhausted, so stressed. And really, it comes down to the willingness to sacrifice. You have to be willing to sacrifice your time, your energy, your comfort, if you want to get ahead and achieve financial freedom. Yeah, you know, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk had a similar message because, um, you know, Gary V? Yeah, I love him. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, he was saying that, you know, all through his 20s and, uh, you know, all his friends are going out, they're partying or doing all those things while he's like working and working and working. And, you know, if you were to go look at his life back then, you would think, you know, look at this guy, he doesn't have any fun. But now it looks like he's having a blast. But that's, um, I can relate to that so much. I was just talking to one of my best friends from college and she was like, do you remember how you were in college? Like you wouldn't spend money on anything. It, you would come out to eat with us and not eat and just drink water. And I was like, yeah, I was crazy. <laughs> and that's why I am here where I am today. But we were just laughing about it. Yeah. How did you avoid? I mean, I think that the hardest part is people, um, they want that gratification. They want to have that stuff. They want stuff. We're, we're, we are bombarded. Like we're not taught anything about money, but we're bombarded on how to spend money. Um, how did you avoid those temptations? I think it just came down to to this insane drive that I had. I had this goal. So going into high school or going into college, I was very scared of the thought of going into student debt. I'm very debt averse. I don't like to have debt. And I'd seen how crippling it can be for when after you graduate, how crippling that can be to get ahead. So I had this, again, an enormous fear. So I became so focused on achieving this one goal of graduating with zero debt. And that's part of the reason I started selling Cutco. Have you heard of Cutco knives by any chance? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I sold knives. I paid my way through school. And I remember I just looked back at my budget a month ago because I was going to do an email about it. My senior year of college, I spent something like $1,072 for the year. Like for what? the whole year. Yeah. Did you so, eat like ramen? Is that all you ate? Like, yeah. Like I mean, I, noodles? I had already paid like the tuition and room and board before that. So that included my meal plan. But I essentially okay. didn't go out to eat. I didn't buy anything. I wasn't shopping. I mean, I lived on on nothing back then. And I, I just think you have to have a big enough motivation. So I was so focused on graduating without debt. And I just knew in my mind, every dollar I spend is a dollar that I could be putting towards tuition. So you just right. have to now, know, like, what, what is your motivation? Why do you care to do this? Right. So what, what is the difference between the debt you were so afraid of and like debt that you currently have because of like having real estate and things like yes, that? Yes. Big difference. And a great question. I think debt is very smart when it is used as leverage to purchase a cash flowing asset. So used as leverage to purchase a cash flowing asset. When you can use money that way, and the prime example is with rental properties and real estate, then you're putting your money to work for you. You're investing it. You're making way more money off of that than you would, for example, if you take on consumer debt. You're not going to make money off of your consumer debt. You're going to be paying yeah, a high right. interest rate. It's going to be for likely a depreciating asset like a car or, right. or a credit card, which is not even an asset at all. So there's a huge difference. But if you can figure out a way to use debt smartly and wisely, that, that is truly how wealthy people get ahead. And that doesn't scare you to have that kind of debt? 
as much, I guess, obviously not as much, but at all? No, and that's a good point because I was so afraid to take out student loan debt. But I think to me, the student loan debt, it's hard to understand the ROI on that. You know, what's the return on my investment? Is it a... Is it going to generate cash flow because of my degree or because of something else that I did? So it's hard to quantify. And a lot of people go into massive amounts of student loan debt only to come out and not be able to find a job. And in fact, I graduated with a financial economics degree with a 3.99 GPA. I had professors telling me, your degree is going to have you making 60 grand starting out. And I was making 36 grand starting out and then 40 grand. So it's just so hard to predict the ROI on that, that I think that's what the fear came from. Yeah, you know, I have two sons starting college this year, uh, and it's scary as hell. And I that I will say this, though, you're not going to find many people who agree. They will agree with you that the ROI is not there. But it's so pushed into our head that you have to do this. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough to know what to do. I do think people are starting to kind of wake up to the fact to realize going to college isn't necessarily a given anymore, or how can you do it in a creative way? So for example, my husband, um, he kind of did two things. First of all, he's a veteran, so he used his military benefits to pay for school. But secondly, he started off at a community college for his first two years, and then he transferred into a really, really top-notch school. So he was paying like a cheap tuition for, for only for half the time and then the expensive tuition for half the time. So there's things you can do to sort of offset. Right. Let's talk about your passive income. What, what is, is it real estate? Is it the books? What's, yeah, um, I have a lot of different sources now. I think I have eight different income streams, but the three biggest ones at this point are the rental income. We're in the process of actually selling some of our rentals right now, but when we had our whole portfolio, we were making about 10 grand a month in profit just from the rentals. And then the second biggest one at this point is my books, the royalties from my books. I make anywhere from five to 10 grand per month in profit from my two books. And then my third biggest income stream is now my online courses. And I make probably around four or five grand per month from right. those. Now, when did you start the online courses? I launched my first one last year. It was actually right when COVID started. So it was a little iffy, but it helped a lot of people during a time when they needed it. And it's, so yeah. that is my eight week online course called Get Your Financial Shit Together. So it's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. Um, so, when the woman on TikTok asked about self-publish or publishing a book, you had said most people want traditional publishing and you are independent publishing your stuff. Uh, can you talk about why you think that's better? Yes, I can. I, I, I used to be enamored with the idea of a traditional book deal. I just thought if you were going to be big and you were going to make it, that's the way to go. You get a big book deal and they're going to do all the marketing and launching your book for you and it's going to be a massive success. And then I realized after doing a lot of research and talking to a lot of traditionally published authors that that's actually not the case at all. They still expect you to do 99% of the marketing and promoting of your own book. Yes. And I was like, that's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, I... Yeah. I, I, I... 
I never thought I'm, that's the whole thing that traditional publishing sees like, oh, I, I'm the author. They're going to go and push it and push it. And wow. Right. Because I was like, I don't want to market. I don't want to promote. I don't like doing that. No one likes to do that. So I thought if I get a traditional book deal, they'll do that all for me. And that's not the case. Like they have those kinds of budgets for people like J.K. Rowling and Stephen King. But for your right. average author, they're not going to put you on a book tour or do whatever else that they do. So then I was starting to look at the numbers and I realized that if you get a traditional book deal, you're going to make a 10 to 15%. So, I mean, in, in Death Proof, it's fair to say that that character is you. Yep. Well, now, now, I mean, you know, it's a Quintonized, it's a Quintonized Zoe. Yeah. It's Zoe in the <laughs> right. world of Quentin Tarantino. Right. Yeah. You're, you're a stunt double and you, um, you know everything about uh, Vanishing Point and films like that. Yeah, I get that. But Yeah, see, that's you know, not me in real life, though. That, right. That, um, yeah, <laughs> those are his additions. But, but, but Eve is completely someone else. And So how do you reach those many different levels of emotion? Uh, has that been difficult for you as, you know, you're learning your craft? Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I don't know if I would say difficult, but it's definitely been something I've been very, very aware of. You know, it's sort of like with stunts, there's a certain element of me that sort of, I switch over into autopilot because it's instinctive. And better at seeing things that other people can't see, but it makes all the difference in the final product. What are you going to make a habit starting today? What is the thing that you want to be better at that you know you should be doing? that you aren't being consistent with. You need to write that down and make it a habit. It has to become part of your life. And there are a lot of good books, actually. Um, Atomic Habits. I would tell you to go get that book. It's called Atomic Habits. Also, The Power of Habit is another one, but I really like Atomic Habits. I believe it's by James Clear. What a good book. Um, And if you want to get a book about kind of your brain and how powerful it is. Jim Quick wrote a book called Limitless. It's another great book about the power that your brain has when you put it to work with habits and consistency. It's just unbelievable. I want to keep these episodes short. So be consistent. And until next time, be a hepcat. No, I don't know what that means. Anyway, um, follow me on Instagram at James underscore Ippolitti. On TikTok, I have two now. At James Ippolitti is my basic uh, creativity TikTok. And I started a new one called at Songwriting with James on TikTok, where I talk just about songwriting. My songwriting podcast is The Songsmith and... I have one episode up with Rachel Eckroth, but I have a lot of interviews coming up I'm excited about. And um, where else am I? Oh, I'm on YouTube too. YouTube at James Hippolyte. Look for me there. I hope you got something out of this podcast. It really uh, makes me happy to talk about creativity and hope that someone out there listening gets inspired to create and put some beautiful, awesome things into the world. Peace.